to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me today is Mr. Giveaway himself, Logan Stump. There's that nickname. I love, I, I just look forward to it each time because I just, I'm ready to react. I feel to the pressure every time. <laughs> Why don't you just start like making up a list? I think that's what you should, could, you could start making up a preset list of names that you can start calling me and that way you've got like an arsenal. It's more fun on the fly. No, that one I did have planned today though. It was going to be Mr. Moneybag Stump or Mr. Giveaway. <laughs> Uh, I'm delving (laughs) yeah I'm delving into the uh, credit card points for uh, half of that kit that we're going to be giving away um, to the lucky fan I just felt like you know this is yeah go ahead and talk about it yeah so uh, what we're doing is we are giving away a kit of your choice so you have uh, obviously don't you're not picking a signed jersey or a (laughs) you know an authentic (laughs) one right off somebody's back but obviously you can buy one of the authentic ones um, out of a team store we'll put you at your size uh, however you want to do that. Um, and yeah, we're, we're giving away a kid over on Twitter. If you go follow us on Twitter, you've got to be following us. I saw a couple of people try to retweet us, but that's, you know, you're not going to get that without the follow. Um, but if you just follow us over on Twitter and you retweet it, uh, that's one point. If you uh, tag three friends, that's another entry. And then if you go and rate us over on Apple podcast, if you write a nice little review and screenshot that us and either, Shoot us uh, down on Twitter by commenting uh, the screenshot of you commenting on um, the Apple podcast review, or you can DM us if we follow you. Um, and that's how you can show us proof that you did that. That's three entries. So that's a, that's a big one. So that's, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of entries so far. So I'm pretty excited about seeing who that goes to and whose store that we're going to be ordering from. So this comes out on the 26th. When does this end? Yeah, so this will end the 31st. We're cranking it out a lot on Twitter, um, so it'll give you about five days to do it, uh, 11.59 on the 31st. I'm hoping by doing that, the person will have the kit ready to go if they go to one of the games uh, that yeah. are going to be in that you know couple weeks. So that would be nice for them to have that nice new 2021 kit. You, you can buy the, the 20 kit if you really want the one that they didn't change up because they alternate, but yeah, it's a... Should be a pretty fun giveaway, I think. I think that's uh, definitely something that people are interested in, especially 
those that have very cool kits. I know Philly's got a cool kit. Yeah, um, hopefully I thought you would just maybe, you know, buy it for buy me, you but one. I guess, but I guess, <laughs> no, we're giving it to the fans. Yeah, maybe you'll win. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? Be like, and the winner is Jordan. Oh, Jordan. I uh, swear this was randomly drawn. <laughs> I always worried about that. Like people thought, because I retweeted it on my own personal account. And I always thought that like, maybe they'd be like, dude, you can't, you can't win it. That's not fair. Yeah. No, um, we, we do not put our names in no, we don't. Uh, when we, when we retweet it, that's just no. to get more people to see it. No, but anybody else is fair game. I mean, if we've got, you know, Todd, obviously uh, we're good friends with, um, and, and, you know, some of these people that we made really good friend, uh, friendships and with. He's doing a giveaway until April something, yeah, I is. think. So check his yeah. out too. Uh, that was last episode that we just talked to him. But like uh, yeah, living. so, so Sorry. Who, who, what was that? I feel like we're living in the past with all uh, these because <laughs> we're doing these in so such uh you know so far in advance because we're trying to get all these teams done and Jordan can't go a couple days next week, so we've got to get all these done. But today good to get them good to get them ahead of time. Yeah, too. Today but we yeah, have who, on who do we have? The the New England Revolution. Uh whole team 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know how much previewing is going to get done. Like, I mean, Arena can talk, but I'm not sure. how. No, uh, we have the guys from Revolution Recap, and you can follow them at Revolution Recap over on Twitter. Uh, Greg Johnstone, uh, Johnston, sorry, I butchered that one. Um, maybe edit that out. Uh, Greg Johnston uh, from uh, New England Soccer Today, so any soccer today. And then Christopher uh, Valukas is coming on from the Revs Revolt, but they do a podcast together uh called the revolution recap so two of the guys are coming over to help us out preview the revolution who a lot of people are really high on yeah uh so i guess let's let's go ahead and uh, get ready to bring them on the stateside soccer show talking the beautiful game in the land of the free breaking down major league soccer u.s men's national team and more with logan and jordan and now we are welcoming in our guests greg johnstone and chris lucas how are you guys today doing great uh we're happy to be on the podcast happy to talk about uh the revolution and the upcoming mls uh, season and uh thank you guys for having us yeah awesome Ed. we are uh doing good you know up in new england here we're finally hitting some warm weather and i can't be happier i'm getting ready for the season to kick off uh just excited yeah so uh the, the first question we usually ask here is you know how long each of you have been following the team and maybe when you guys have started uh your podcasts so it's kind of an interesting uh story i our co-host sean who's not with us tonight started a website called new england soccer today and that was in 2010 and i went to college with sean and so i've been following the revs since around that time uh since about 2010 2011 after the good days for the revolution um, so I, I also contributed to New England Soccer Today during the 2014 run and a few seasons after that. Um, in the past couple of years, in 2018, we've transitioned over to a podcast called Revolution Recap. Uh, and Chris has actually joined us in this uh, offseason uh, as a third host. So that's kind of the, the basic history behind how our podcast got started. Yep. And uh, me personally, I've been following the team, I guess, more hardcore since about 2012. Uh, I've been off and on since the beginning, since the 96 season. So. Um, yeah, it's been uh, uh, most of my knowledge around the team is about 2012 and on. That's about about it for me. We missed the good stuff. Yeah, I, I was in the I was in the stands for the 2007 MLS Cup final. 
um, when when Houston won their second in a row against you guys. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was in uh, that was in D.C. and I'm up in Maryland, so uh, or down in Maryland from you guys. Uh, so yeah, that I, my dad that was one of like the first MLS games I was I was actually taken to. So I guess we can get into it here. Uh, we usually like to start with you know asking our guests to reflect on the 2020 season. So uh, what were some of the key takeaways from last year and how did this impact the off season heading into 2021? Well, I think a key takeaway for the revolution was that we ended on such a positive high note. They kind of caught fire kind of into the playoff run. Uh, they beat Philadelphia, they beat Orlando, they beat Montreal too, although I don't think that was too hard. But defeating Philadelphia and Orlando has kind of built up this sense of optimism. And so I think there's kind of some unfinished business uh, for the revolution going into this 2021 season. And 2020 on the whole wasn't very successful. They finished in eighth place, but the majority of that season was about Carly's heel. And once he got came back and once they had their playoff stretch, I think they everyone saw what this team could do. So um, as I say, it's kind of some unfinished business. I think everyone in New England is hoping for a healthy team that is able to show off what they can do. They think it's a very strong team top to bottom that can compete with anyone. Um, and they brought in some players like Tayon Buchanan, uh, Henry Kessler. Those are some good young pieces that they expect to take another step forward and go into 2021, uh, making that next step and, and bring them to potential MLS Cup contenders. Yep. And I would add that, you know, another key takeaway that we have is, is just the progress overall. Uh, when you look back to uh, the Brad Friedel days, I guess specifically, and how wrong everything started feeling, uh, everything seemed to be trending in the wrong direction, um, and then how quickly things have turned around now. You know, we got the Bruce effect, um, and if, like you said, Greg, we, you know, we are now possible contenders. Um, we're, we're in that discussion anyway, uh, and just being able to see that that progress year over year, and including last year. Uh, just such a big takeaway, and now just hoping to keep rolling. Yeah, so the, you, you kind of uh, move on from that season. I know that uh, Heels' entry was um, a big-time blow, and, and you just kind of see what they're capable of there towards the end, especially in MLS Cup, um, losing out to Columbus. Um, but as you guys move on into that offseason, when uh, those decisions are made on some of these contracts and some of these players, it seems like, uh, somewhat of an era ends with some of these guys that have been around or left and then came back. Uh, guys like Diego Fagundes, uh, Kellen Rowe, Lee Nguyen, um, even had Christian Pinella and Alex Butner leave. Um, what, you know, looking at those pieces, are, are those some pieces that you guys end up missing going into 2021 or, or was it time to cut ties with some of those guys? You know, I, I would say Penny is the most uh, intriguing one of those bunch that we're going to be missing this year. Uh, he has had such an up and down uh, career with the revolution uh, started out, I think it was 2017, 2018 uh, his first year with the team. And he really kind of lit the league on fire and uh, you know, he earned himself a, a nickname, the Ecuadorian DeLorean. Uh, and he really just, he lit up the, the field and um, brought a whole new dynamic to the team that we really hadn't had in a long time. And then that kind of went away and we hadn't seen that side of Christian Pena again for a while. And then in 2020, um, you know, about halfway through the year when he started really regaining that form, it felt uh, he did unfortunately get injured, missed the rest of the season. And I was no longer with the team. I really would have liked to see where that could have gone. But at the same time, I understand um, the decision to move on. Um, 
as far as you know, the other players that you mentioned, Diego Fagundes and the Kellen Rowe. It's happy to see Kellen Rowe go back to Seattle and you know back to his hometown. Uh, and Diego, yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's a controversial take, but I feel like it's a few years too too late for Diego to move on. Uh, I'm a huge Diego fan. I hope he does well, but uh, it just it it didn't seem like it was working well for him in New England anymore. And uh, you know, hopefully down in Austin, you know, he could turn things around for him. But I would also add on one piece that maybe you didn't mention was the losses of De La Mea and Mancien, who are um, not necessarily game changers as far as center backs, but they were depth pieces that we had that we no longer have. Um, and that's going to be one one area of the team that we really need, need to look towards in 2021. Yeah, and it's kind of a mixed bag between is it an end of an era or, or you know, do, was it time to move on from these guys? Because it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I think there was a stat that I looked up that outside of Scott Caldwell, who won team MVP in 2015, uh, the Revolution released, I think it was something like six straight seasons of team MVPs. Uh, Lee Wynn, uh, Diego Fagundes, uh, Christian Pena, Antonio De La Mea. Those guys all have won team MVP with the Revolution since 2014. So there is kind of an end of an era feel to those guys leaving. Um, but with that being said, you know, Diego Fagundes stopped contributing toward the end of the year. Kellen Rowe was a bench player. Uh, Lee Wynn was a starter when Carlos Hill was out. But once Carlos Hill came back, he didn't really have much of a role. Pena was hurt at the end of the year. Uh, Bootner got COVID, so he missed the whole playoffs. Um, and then De La Maya was our third center back. Uh, Chris makes a good point that that might be um, the, the biggest hole remaining, because even though he wasn't a starter, I think there's some questions at center back depth for the Revolution. Uh, so it, it, there's a bit of an end of an era feel. But if you go back and you look at the box scores from the Revolution playoff games, everyone that left wasn't really contributing minutes uh, in those games. So um, the starting 11 is still kind of intact. And I, I can't fault the Revolution for moving on from any of those guys. I was going to say, so we we got... So we actually interviewed uh, a fan uh, that is part of one of the big supporter groups in Austin, and he actually knows Diego pretty well. Um, and just, you know, talking to him, I will say they, they seem very, very high on Diego. And, and I think, like Chris said, that it I, I'd pump my brakes a little bit for them, um, you know, at looking at, at what he's provided and sometimes hot, cold kind of it seems like he's starting to get towards a point in his career where I, I think people think he's going to come in and, and just blow things away. And I think that's, you know, I, it definitely something that they were looking at when they signed him. Well, what's interesting about Diego Fagundes is he's still 25. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people, you know, I think if you ask the average MLS fan, they'd assume he's hitting 30 because yeah. he's been in the league so long. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at his stats, you know, he had that really, really great season in 2013 mm -hmm. um, and, and he's kind of really faded, but Diego Fagundes, originally was kind of playing the central attacking midfield position under Brad mm -hmm. Friedel in 2018. Um, and then he got benched and it was kind of unclear because he was playing pretty well. And then Carlos Hill came in and essentially moved Diego to kind of the wing and to kind of like an eight position, like central midfield. Um, and I, I think his best position is central attacking midfield. Um, and, and he's still in the prime years of his life. So I think it's a good chance for him to kind of surround himself with a young team and get a fresh start. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if he is an above average MLS player. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to be the superstar player that at one point we thought might, you know, make the move to Europe in a multi-million dollar transfer fee, mm -hmm. potentially play for Uruguay or anything like that. Um, I, I think those days are, are long gone. Yeah, definitely a low risk, high reward type situation for Austin there. 
I was gonna say I think that's something with all of them that uh, with those expansion teams it's it's a lot of high risk you know or you know low risk high reward kind of thing. Um, so speaking of turnover, I mean you get you get uh, quite a long laundry list of of people that are, are getting turned over, and then you got new faces coming in. Um, I think it's seven new faces that are coming in. Uh, Earl Edwards Jr., which I saw that he'd gotten hurt. Um, you've got a couple defenders. Uh, can you guys just speak to some of the additions that you guys have made? Um, one that uh, I think a couple people were interested with was, I think it's pronounced Kiza, uh, which was your draft pick and, and kind of maybe what he can provide as he gets more experience with MLS. Um, can you guys just speak to some of those additions that you made in the offseason? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with Kiza. Kiza is an interesting case because uh, he was the Revolution's first uh, round draft pick. And we're talking about pick number 24. And, you know, with the super draft, I, I think there's some value you can find in the top 10. You know, certainly there are the Daryl DKs and Henry Kessler's of the world. Um, and, and I don't think there's a whole lot of value recently uh, in at pick 24, which is where the Revolution selected Kiza. So um, I, I, I think expectations are a little high for him. But Bruce Arena says that uh, he expects him to make an impact this season. Uh, he was his favorite uh, striker in the draft. Uh, it was Bruce's number one striker off the board. And so I, I think he's going to kind of fill into the backup role for Adam Buxa at the start. Um, I'm still not expecting a whole ton from, from Kiza, but he he's kind of fills a depth role. Um, I think the big signing is going to be, and I, I, I'm hoping I pronounce this correctly, we just signed him two weeks ago, but uh, Arnor Trostason, who is an Icelandic national team player, he's going to fill in on the left wing for the revolution. I think he's going to be, he's filling a, a really, really big hole because they really didn't get a lot of production from the left wing last year. Uh, so he, he's going to be a big addition for the revolution that's going to really take a lot of pressure off of uh, Gustavo Bo and Carlos Teal. Uh, and then the other big signing that I want to talk about was Wilfred Captum, uh, who is a central midfielder. Um, he came up through the Barcelona Youth Academy. They signed him on a free uh, transfer back in December. Um, the revolution kind of had some issues with possession uh, and possessing the ball through the middle of the field. And they're kind of lacking that number eight uh, player that they, they tried to have Diego Fagundes play last year and he, he wasn't great at it. So I think Captain kind of fills that type of role too. And they're expecting some big things from him this season. Yeah. And it, the other addition, I guess that I would really look forward to is Christian Mafla um, playing left back, you know, presumably he will be, the, he's going to be the starter going into the season. Maybe Dewan Jones gets it, but if it is Mafla, you have to look at that whole entire left side of the team and think what, what is this team going to actually look like? Because it's a completely different left side. Um, you know, players that we had not had in 2020, including Trousas and, and Mafla, and how will they how will they interact with each other? What's the chemistry going to be like over there? Uh, and if this team wants to contend, which of course they do, they're going to have to make sure that that left side is going to, you know, be able to to communicate well and uh, play well together. And, you know, how is Mafla going to work when it comes to overlapping runs Trastasen, is he going to be able to fall back and, and defend when Mafla comes up? Because I know Mafla is that type of player that likes to attack as well. So I, w- I would like to see that dynamic and how that plays out. All right, moving on to kind of like the, the coaching staff here. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned him earlier, Brad Friedel, and the disaster that was his reign as the revolution manager but then in comes bruce arena you know five mls cup titles three supporter shields um how big of an influence has he had on uh the revs was it just needing to you know get somebody else other than friedel or has arena really put his stamp on the team 
Yeah, I think that the change when it comes to Bruce Arena is more than just him as the coach, um, because Bruce Arena also came in and essentially uh, replaced uh, Mike Burns, who was the general manager. And now Bruce Arena is not only just the head coach, but he's also the sporting director. Uh, he's managing everything around building this squad. Uh, this is 100% the Bruce Arena project. Um, it's, you know, his, you know, his... Um, his MO is it's it's following him where he likes to bring in the the older players and if you look at the average age of the revolution you can see year over year the last three years um, it has been going up so we're up to about I think it's like twenty seven and a half is now the average age of the team I couldn't find the stat before we got on today I saw it the other day though and I think the revs were about the fourth or fifth oldest team in the league when you look back to uh, beginning of uh, twenty nineteen. Uh, we were, I have the stat here, hang on, sorry, 20, 25 and a half was the average age. Um, so you can see that's already going up. You know he likes to bring in those veteran players. He brings in players like Adela Garza, uh, players that he knows. Um, but then he can also make those big signings um, and bring in players from overseas. He's, his first signing was Gustavo Bo, which uh, was, I think, a pretty impressive signing. Uh, he made an impact right away, his debut. He had that gorgeous volley goal uh from outside the box and you know that's that's the bruce arena effect um and then we were talking like he came in bruce arena did come in and he had somewhat of an established team in front of him brad friedel i don't think was the right fit in any way to play those guys uh i don't think anyone can argue that point but brad friedel did at least bring in you know the likes of carles heel he did give matt turner his first start to start in net um so brad friedel has you know, somewhat of a responsibility for those positives. Um, we'll avoid the negatives right now and say that those positives were able to carry over to Bruce Arena as well. So he did have a leg up in that, and he's getting the team to play together, uh, and it's just a beautiful sight. Yeah, and, and nothing too that I wanted to mention about Bruce because Chris is absolutely right. This is a little bit more about a culture change with the Revolution because it kind of used to be Mike Burns was the GM, and they were pinching penny, penny, pennies. Sorry, pinching pennies. Um, and Brad Friedel kind of came in as Mike Burns' guy. Uh, Brad Friedel and Mike Burns had a long relationship, and Brad Friedel has kind of alluded to it in interviews since that, you know, he kind of had multiple trades vetoed by Mike Burns and higher-ups, and he didn't really get full control of the roster. And I think after the Brad Friedel era kind of ended in complete disaster and the locker room was torn apart, um, the Crafts, who, uh, for, for your listeners that don't know, the, the Revolution are also owned by Robert Kraft, who owns the Patriots. Um, the Crafts kind of saw Bruce Arena available, basically just emptied out their uh, entire structure in terms of player personnel and just gave Bruce Arena full control. So uh, Bruce has brought in Curtin Alfo, uh kind of as a GM, I guess, player personnel type of guy. Um, they created Revs 2, which is their USL side uh, in League 1. Um, as Chris mentioned, they brought in Gustavo Bo immediately uh, as their second de designated player. They brought in Adam Buxa as a third designated player in the second uh, window Bruce Arena had. So they're spending money, which is something that the Reds typically haven't done. They're building out a bigger front office. They're bigging, they're, they're building out uh, a USL team to, to, you know, build a pipeline from their academy straight to the first team. So, um, the, the Bruce effect has been really more in a culture change. Um, the results I don't think have been there yet. Certainly they made it to the Eastern Conference semis last year, but as I say, they were the eight seed. Um, Bruce Arena did salvage that 2019, uh, 2019 season. Uh, that, that was a complete disaster when, when Brad Friel left. But, um, you know, we, we still have not reached a, uh, 
you know, championship level team yet. And there's a lot of expectations that 2021 might be the year uh, that they're able to take that next step. And so kind of going along with that, uh, towards the end of the season, did, did you notice anything in play style that changed besides heel coming back? Or was it something that he did tactically or was it just because, the, you know, they get their best player in attack back and, and they just take off line from there? Yeah, I mean, it's really short answer. It's really Carlos Heel. Yeah. Um, yeah they, I mean, there was they, they another Bruce Arena effect thing too. Here is that the Revolution really kept the roster the same, and, and Bruce really, you know, is always looking to improve the team. So uh, when Carlos Heel went out last year, they, they tried making Gustavo Bo kind of the playmaker in the central attacking midfield, and he's really best as a second striker. And he just doesn't have the pass success rate to to run things. Um. They brought in Lee Wynn. He kind of stopped the bleeding a little bit. Um, they played Christian Pena, who's a winger in, in the middle of the field, and he was kind of a disaster there. They had Tommy McNamara kind of fill in. Um, so they tried a lot of different things that really just didn't click, and, and Lee Wynn kind of held it down until Carlos Hill came back. But the, the short answer is Carlos Hill just makes this team a lot better. Um, they're able to just give him the ball, and he runs the show. And, um, you know, as, as I say, if you're not very familiar with New England, he is that good. Um, I, I think the expectation in New England is he's going to be a best 11 player in MLS because, um, as I say, he just runs the show and everything goes through him. And, um, you know, what they struggled with when he was out was getting that creativity in the final third and breaking through. And they really struggled against teams like Philadelphia, uh, Nashville. Like there, there were a lot of games where strong defensive teams uh, that, you know, weren't subjecting themselves to counterattacks. The Revolution had a lot of trouble with. So, yeah, I mean, it's all Carlos Hill. Yep, and adding on to the Carlos Hill uh, piece too, you see how much once once Carlos came back and was you know becoming more match fit, uh, and really you know coming back into his role, uh, Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa really started to play more freely. You could see that they were playing much more relaxed, much more confident soccer. Uh, Adam Buxa first is down the stretch started really turning it around. Uh, in the playoffs, I think that there was about three or four different shots that were really close off the post close to going in and giving us a little glimpse of what Adam Buxa really is capable of, which we didn't necessarily see in the beginning of the season and halfway through without Carly's heel there uh, when there was no service to be had. So allowing Gustavo Bo to do what he naturally does, allowing Adam Buxa to be more of a hold-up striker, uh, and then it, the likes of you know Tejon Buchanan coming out of nowhere and just really blowing up at the end of the season, specifically in the playoffs, um, that that's all thanks to Carlos Hill coming back and allowing everyone else to play the way that they play. Yeah. So you just mentioned books uh, there uh, a bit, you know, um, like you said, when, uh, when Hill was out a bit uh, playing differently with books, but then it seemed like all cylinders were firing once, uh, you know, Hill came back. Um, do you, do you think books, you know, can, uh, he had like a, you know, truncated first season here in MLS. Do you think he can become a consistent uh, goal scorer for the, for the team? I, I'm on record as I think everyone in, in Revs Nation knows I am probably one of the biggest books stands out there. Uh, I am, I'm a huge, huge fan of his and I am hoping nothing but the best and, you know, 20 goals. Like that's what I want to see. But I'm also a realist and I know that. He had a lot of struggles uh, last season. You know, I'm okay, you know, chalking up a lot of those those issues to, you know, the fact that there was COVID, that he just came over to a country where he doesn't know anybody and now was in isolation all by himself, uh, aside from, you know, getting to know the team. Uh, it, it was 
you know, undeniably a tough year for everybody, but as someone in his situation, I'm sure it was even more difficult. And then trying to understand a league that you can't even get to play games in. He had a lot of, a lot to overcome last year. And I think that we really started to see him come out and it show what, it, what, you know, like I said, what his capabilities are, especially when it came to the postseason. Uh, I think he can be a reliable goal scorer. Um, and yes, uh, you know, the number nine position is, is his to lose. Um, do I think it's going to happen? I don't, I don't know. I, it's hard to really say, but um, if the end of last season was any indicator of what is going to happen this year, I think that uh, MLS better watch out because I think that he's going to be putting a lot of balls in the net. Yeah. And for, for your listeners that aren't very familiar with Adam Buxa, he scored seven goals in 2020 in about 2000 minutes. Um, that includes the playoffs and in the playoffs too. He, he, Kind of caught fire. He only scored once, but I think he hit the post like three or four times. Um, he, he was a lot more dangerous in those final few games. And part of that is the Carly's heel effect. But I, I think a lot of it is he's a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, in America. I mean, COVID hit right as he played two games before COVID hit. Um, and so there is a little bit of an adjustment uh, period, I think, for him. Um, one thing that I, I think 2021 is going to be a make or break year for him because there's a lot of questions if he's going to be able to put the ball in the back of the net and one thing to consider is that he was seventh in mls last year in uh, expected goals uh, with 8.55 i need the second worst expected goal differential uh, which usually means that players like that are either unlucky or they're bad uh, and so i think the the jury is still out over whether or not he's just not a very good finisher uh, or if you know he just had really bad luck in 2020 and i, I think i lean more on the unlucky uh column i i think he shows some skills he does really a lot of things great it just isn't reflected in the the goals scored uh column and i i, I think he could catch fire and with carlos heel um uh, uh, you know back in the lineup if he gets a full season of a healthy carlos heel um I, I think he has the tools to score double digits goals goals this season because um he's got a powerful left foot and he's very good in the air he just needs that service and let's not forget trostison is now here as well um and i think that between Trostas and Gustavo Bo, Carlos Hill is going to be plenty of service into the box. And Tejon Buchanan, Brandon Bai, you know, he's getting better at crossing as well. So um, I, I think we got a lot of players that can cross it. I was going to say you, you talked about it too. Some, uh, so uh, Bo, for those that aren't uh, familiar with New England, he plays more of that second striker in behind Buxa. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, how uh, a second year, do you think that that's something that progresses, you know, not necessarily being a, uh, a real 10, I guess, that you would have in behind him. Um, is he more of just, you know, is he having a hard time create, creating because he's not used to creating or is that something that he's getting better with? Yeah, it, it is, his past success rating is not very high. Um, mm-hmm. And as I say, with Carly's heel out, he had to kind of take over the reins a little bit. Um, you know, he had to take some corners um, and he was kind of the playmaker. And really what you want uh, Gustavo Bo to do, as you said, is kind of that second striker role. Uh, where he's looking to shoot, he's not looking to pass. Um, and he just got forced into that role last year. And I think that took a little bit away from his uh, goal scored number, first of all. Uh, and I think it kind of made everyone else around him not click as much. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with Carlos Hill back in the lineup and with uh, guys like Captoom and Trostas in there who, who also can possess uh, and, and create some chances, uh, that should free up Buxa and Bo a little bit more to get into the box and, and get more scoring chances. Um, and, and that's where you want Gustavo Bo. I mean, uh, we have kind of a running joke that if Gustavo Bo gets six or seven shots uh, in the game, not necessarily on target, just, you know, if he gets six or seven shots from anywhere, one of them's bound to go in. 
uh, and Gasabo can literally score from anywhere. So um, I, I think they want him uh, receiving the ball instead of passing it and, and looking to shoot instead of looking to pass. I was going to yeah. say though, and sorry, Chris, you nope. can go ahead. Oh. No, you can go. You, you take it. Um, no, I, I was just going to, like, I was looking at some of his stats, and I think, like, the shot created actions. I, I think he was up near, like, Reynoso and, and guys like that. He was above Ladero and, and shots that he can create on his own. And, uh, you know, looking at that, I, I saw another stat that was uh, they haven't lost when he scored. Is that the 10? I think it was 10 matches they won, um, and they drawn six when he does score. So that's, you know, something that I was looking at that, that stuck out to me. Yeah, I don't know that stat, but that doesn't surprise me, to be honest with you. And, and another thing, too, is like late in the game when they need a goal, they're looking for Gustavo. Because as I say, I mean, he can score from 30 yards out. So mm-hmm. there have been some games where, you know, he's, he's, you know, taking it from a draw to a win or a loss to a draw because, you know, he gets that little bit of space and someone hasn't closed him down. And if, he, if he's got the ball and he's looking at the target, he's going to be shooting. Yep. Gustavo Bowie is that type of player that's, that can be an absolute game changer. If he is on, um, it's, he's a really dangerous player to have on your, you know, a great player to have on your team. But for the, for the opposition, it's, it puts them in a really bad position. But when he's off, it, he can kind of hurt the team in a way because he just kind of gets in the way sometimes. Uh, we saw that a bit last year. Um, as opposed to, you know, when he came in in 2019, uh, he was on, I think, every single game. And, uh, it was really, really, spurring us to be able to make the playoffs in 2019 which was unfathomable by, be, before he had even come in uh, but then we saw a bit more last year a bit more back to reality you know saw how he plays when he is down uh, and how the team also does not necessarily elevate but when he can really elevate his game and start putting the ball on the net it's uh it, it, the revs are a really hard team to beat uh, you guys mentioned uh, Tayshawn uh, Buchanan earlier. He, you know, did just score uh, two goals for Canada U23 at the Olympic qualifiers. Uh, how high is his ceiling? Uh, like you said, it sounds like he just burst onto the scene at the end of the year. And uh, do you think he can, is he more of like a bench player uh, at this point of this, uh, you know, starting the season? Yeah, Tayshawn's an interesting in, uh, player to look at because he did basically burst onto the scene somewhat at the end of last year. But if you had been following the revs, I guess you kind of could see something to that level come in. He's always had all those pieces, but he's never necessarily been able to put it all together. He's been, uh, we had opening, opening day in Montreal, 2020. Uh, we were down two one and there was a cross put into the box and Tejan was right there. Um, at maybe two feet out wide open net and he put it off the post instead um that was uh, a pretty terrible way to start the season and he it kind of looked like it derailed the start of his season a little bit i mean that and possibly covid as well but um he's he's definitely a player that has all the pieces and trying to see him put put it all together you know you saw on that first goal last night against um el salvador he was able to beat the defender with his feet and then slot it past the keeper uh, left-footed, which uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, and then he also has the ability on that second goal that he scored to just bounce right up and, and just take a shot with anger. He just That was a really beautiful goal, by the way. Uh, you know, curled it right past the keeper. Uh, and he's, he's going to beat you with a lot of pace down, down the wings, um, which is why I think it worked a little bit for him when he played right back in the postseason for the revolution last year is that he had a lot of room to run and he was able to take on players that necessarily weren't prepared uh, for him in that role. 
Um, but going ahead, looking forward to 2021, what's his ceiling going to be? I, I don't know where his ceiling could be. Uh, I think that there's a good chance that he gets sold um, to some team in Europe. Um, if I had to bet, that's where my money would go. As far as with the revolution, I don't know where he fits. Uh, I don't want to say that he's a bench player. Uh, Bruce Arena has made it clear that he think that he sees him as a winger. But if you look at this this roster right now, I don't see a starting position for him. Um, you know, I think Brandon Bay is going to be back into that right back slot, and I don't know what that means for Tejon Buchanan. Yeah, and just a little bit of context here uh, for people that might not be familiar with the Revolution. So Tejon Buchanan was the first round draft pick uh, in 2019. Um, he played under Bradford a little bit, showed a lot of flashes, and then when Bruce Arena came in and took over midway through the season, um, Tayon Buchanan played one, made one appearance of one minute uh, in, in Bruce's first game, and then we didn't see him for the rest of 2019. Uh, so last year he he made a few appearances. He made that appearance in Montreal in the season opener and missed that header in front of goal. And I think a lot of people lost faith in him in a little bit. And he, he made some appearances in the MLS's back tournament, and you know he looked very raw. He looked like he still hadn't developed. And um, after a few game, you know games of struggles uh he had some really nice goals against uh, philadelphia kind of showed more and more flashes of brilliance uh, and and very clearly very quickly became someone that seemed to be needed in the lineup uh so last year during the playoffs carlos heel comes back um brandon by had a leg injury uh, uh, alexander Budner had covid so they were really struggling along the back line uh, and outside back particularly and they moved to pay on buchanan to right back really for the first time ever. And Taylor played very well. Um, he, he's got very good defensive skills for a winger. So a lot of people, a lot of Ruffs fans want him to play right back uh, and kind of dethrone Brandon Bai, which I don't see happening. I think Brandon Bai is a good right back. Um, I, I question Taylor being, being right back full-time. Uh, and Bruce has said that he wants to develop him as a winger. So it is kind of strange because his best position is apparently winger, but uh, they have Heel on the right and Trostison on the left. You have Teal Bunbury kind of there for depth. Um, I'm not really sure what role he's going to take. Um, Trostison is going to probably be out the first few games of the season because he has some visa issues uh, and, and he has to go through quarantine. So he, he might not play the first few games and may, maybe Taylor plays kind of that left side. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's really confusing where he's going to fit because his development is going to be really, really crucial uh, for the revolution uh, going forward because I think the Revs have potentially something very special here. Yeah, I, I was reading a bunch of, and of course, yesterday he goes off, um, and then scores two goals. And like Chris said, that goal, um, if you haven't seen the highlight of it, it it's a spectacular shot. Um, he looks just so poised for a young kid. Um, and I saw all these links to, you know, this <laughs> obviously not just the, the goal itself, but there was a bunch of talk about, oh, what does, you know, Europe look like for him, uh, as he gets a little bit older and develops? Um, kind of talking about the rest of attack. Um, it does look like Luis Caicedo is coming back after a knee injury. Um, and then you got some other pieces back in those six and eight spots. Can you kind of talk to us about that, that part of the midfield and who you're looking at to kind of just pick up the pieces there? Um, do you expect Caicedo to kind of come back into form and hopefully get some minutes back behind there? Cause he, he did, I think he had 2000 minutes in 2018 or something like that. So he seemed like it was, you know, pretty crucial to that midfield. Yeah, Luis Caicedo, I'm a big fan of Luis Caicedo, and he was one of the bright spots during the Brad Friedel era. Um, he came in with Christian Pena and was one of the bright spots of that 2018 team. Um, he had a torn, I believe it was a torn ACL last season, um, and so he, he was not a factor at all last year. Um, but what's interesting is that central midfield cluster is very, very deep. Um, you have Captoom, who they acquired to kind of be the starting eight, you would assume. 
Um, and then in the other spot, who they're going to pair with them, I mean, it's anyone's guess. There is Luis Caicedo, who I think fully healthy is, is, might take that role, but they also have Matt Polster, who played very well for the Revolution last year. Uh, they have Tommy McNamara, who they acquired last year from Houston. They have Scott Caldwell, who's been with the Revolution forever, uh, and, and is still putting in quality performances. Um, so the central midfield, they're, they're very deep. And they're, they're also just allegedly, uh, it's rumored that they're going to be signing uh, a kid by the name of Maciel, who played at Revs 2 last year. Um, and if you talk to Bruce Arena during these press conferences and you ask him about, you know, who from Revolution 2 is impressing, uh, Maciel is the first name he mentions. Uh, and, and a couple of other players have said that, uh, you know, he can play at the MLS level. So they're very, very deep at central midfield. Um, I, 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 my guess is that Polster starts the season at that spot, but um, Luis Caicedo is certainly going to log a lot of minutes. He's still very young. I think he's something like 25 or 24. Uh, so we'll see Luis Caicedo a little bit, but um, it, it's a real battle for for minutes in the central midfield. Yep. I see things the same exact way as Greg does. Um, I definitely think Luis Caicedo is going to see a lot of minutes, and I think the majority are going to be off the bench. Um, the starting, you know, eight and six is going to probably go to Cap Tomb and and Polster, if Captoom is not playing, you know, maybe up to expectations, I can see Luis Caicedo taking that sixth spot from him. But Caicedo also is more of a defensive-oriented player, um, so we really wouldn't have necessarily that box-to-box eight that we would uh, we're expecting, I guess, out of out of uh, Captoom. And Greg, you alluded to Revs too. You want to give uh, your thoughts on John Bell a little bit? Uh, we had a, a Twitter <laughs> user by the name of Seth uh, ask us about the lovely John Bell. Yeah, John Bell is, uh, I mean, I don't want to hype him up too much, but if he is not like a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer by the time his career <laughs> is over, something has gone wrong. Um, so the the inside joke here, which even Revs fans on Twitter don't fully understand the joke, uh, John Bell is a Revs 2 player. Uh, he was left back in college. He converted to center back for Revs 2 last year. Uh, and a couple of months ago, he tweeted out, like it looked like an emoji of signing a paper. Uh, and so naturally, a few people... Uh, took this to mean he was signing a contract with the revolution. So a few Revs fans, including myself, have started the hashtag announce John Bell movement. We are basically just bullying the revolution to signing John Bell to an MLS contract and announcing his signing. And allegedly we're going to be signing him soon, uh, which is great because one, it's hilarious. Uh, and I, I like to take credit for, you know, bullying the revolution. <laughs> as a uh, but also we desperately need some center back depth. Uh, and, from what I've heard from, from what Bruce Arena says and from what some other players say, um, John Bell has shown a lot of really good flashes, uh, you know, in training and with a revolution too. So, uh, it, it's, it's exciting. Um, in reality, he's probably just a backup, but, uh, I, I like to hype up this guy as, uh, you know, the next Michael Parker's. With the, with John Bell too, part of that, the reason that that rumor is, is, uh, blowing up like it is, I guess, is, uh, a couple months before, John Bell made that that tweet. Um, the Revolution actually acquired his rights uh, from San Jose to be able to sign him to in a, a professional MLS contract. Uh, and then John Bell now tweeting out that picture or that uh, those emojis rather. Uh, it's it's really stirring a lot of speculation. Yeah, just yeah. San Jose drafted John Bell, but didn't sign him. Yep. So because MLS rules are stupid, we had to trade for his rights. Uh-huh. And so everyone assumed he was being signed, and it hasn't come yet. So yes, that's. Uh, just, just for full context, there. That's the. Yeah, you've you've been providing context for me all episodes, so I'm I'm happy to do it once. 
Right. I'm, I'm just glad Seth has his question answered. Um, it seemed yeah. like it was burning. <laughs> Seth is very concerned about the revolution not signing John Bell to this point. I, I think he. I think he's leading the charge on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's affecting his well-being that they haven't been announced him yet. Well, I was going to say, is the supporters club? I mean, is that something that's realistic if he comes up to the major league? I mean, the major club is that something that happens? Is the John Bell fan club and Greg and Seth and you guys kind of just run that and, and lead that? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's already there. Like, it, it hasn't been discussed. <laughs> It hasn't been discussed, but let me just say that when that signing is announced, I would guess that John Bell number 70 jerseys are going to be the highest selling jersey <laughs> revolution. That's... It'll, help, it'll help you get that third kit that MLS has <laughs> yeah. okay yeah. to sell. <laughs> I, I actually can see a lot of John Bell jerseys being sold if the Revs sign him. It has gotten to be this huge sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I can see that happening 100%. There will be more John Bell jerseys sold than John Bell minutes played. Yes. <laughs> I can almost guarantee that. Yes. Uh, moving on to the defense, uh, you know, the Revs had a top 10 defense in the league, um, given up only 25 goals. Looking back, uh, what went well with the back line and what are some things that can improve? Uh, Matt Turner went well with the Revs. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone's noticed this, but yeah, Matt Turner has uh, turned into a brick wall back there. Um, not only that, uh, drafting right. Henry Kessler has come in and just been a complete stalwart in the back line. Um, he's impressed me personally on so many levels. Uh, I know Bruce Arena has said it as well that he's been so impressed. He drafted Henry Kessler with the intent of Henry Kessler playing in USL League One with the Revolution 2. Uh, and he came in and he was an opening day starter. I remember watching on TV, seeing him play at Olympic Stadium up in Montreal. And uh, think of this kid, is uh, he, he might be something special. Um, the Revs might have something with him. And then uh, at the home opener, we had Chicago. I remember I was at the game watching him play and I... I couldn't have been more impressed with him the way he's playing out of the back and also just shutting down uh, quality attackers. Um, yeah, so between the likes of Henry Kessler and then Matt Turner just continuously developing, those are the two points I guess I, I have as to why why they were so successful. And, I mean, they still have Kessler and they still have Turner and they're both developing. Um, I see no reason this defense can't get better. Yeah, and I just want to talk about Henry Kessler because sometimes – You'll hear a story about how confident someone is, and this guy is really confident and whatever. And so I, I just want to point out that, like, I'm not joking. Henry Kessler might be the most confident player in MLS. I mean, he is 100% confident in himself. Um, we had him on our podcast uh, after the pandemic hit. So he played two games, and we asked him, you know, are you surprised that you've you know, jumped into the starting lineup already, but only been with the team two months and you're already impressing. And his answer was no. He's like, I have high expectations for myself. I expect to do this. I expect to do this. Um, there's another story where uh, Charlie Davies was, who was who with the revolution organization. He's now the color commentator. He was doing some color commentating for the ACC network and he covered a UVA game where Henry Kessler was playing. And I think Charlie Davies said that, you know, someone on the other team was the best defender in the ACC or something like that. Um, and it was an, an in a previous game, Henry Kessler, you know, saw him a few weeks later, I guess, went up to Charlie Davies and said, hey, I'm going to prove to you tonight why I'm the best defender in the ACC. So Henry Kessler has, you know, he was a rookie last season. He's really not a rookie. Uh, he's really impressed. I know he's with the U, uh, U23s right now and trying to get a spot on the Olympic roster. Um, he's already the rock of that uh, revolution backline and immediately brought stability on that backline, which was a real issue in years past. Um, so uh, 
you know, I, I can't say enough things about Henry Kessler and, um, you know, how he, he took a okay back line and made it one of the best in the league, as he said. Um, and in terms of how can they get better, they're adding John Bell. So Henry Kessler, John Bell, just the best corner, uh, center back combo <laughs> in MLS. Uh, moving on to the, uh, you know, the fullbacks here. Um, I, I see here that uh, you, you mentioned Brandon Bay earlier. Um, and if I'm correct, you had him on the show back in February. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have anything specifically about Brandon Bay that you would want to bring up here? And do you see him as... Um, you know, you mentioned earlier maybe that he should be the starting right back. Yeah, Brandon Bay is a converted winger. We, we got him in the Super Draft, draft also. A lot of players the Revs have gotten in the Super Draft have really, you know, struck gold with. Um, but Brandon Bay is a winger out of Western Michigan. They converted him to right back um, under Brad Friedel. Um, he's really improved his defense, uh, his one-on-one defending. He's really good in the air. I think he was leading MLS in aerials or something like that. Um, last year, there, there was a stat that I saw uh, midway through that last season that leads the league in aerials. So he's he's very valuable on set pieces, and um, he's a very well-rounded defender. Um, his crossing is questionable. Um, there are a lot of people that wish he added a little bit more uh, offensively to the team, um, and he's entering his fourth year already. So um, I think there are a lot of people that might want a new right back, but overall, he's a very, I'd say, above-average player uh, at right back who's going to give you quality performances. He's been the starter for two years. MLS mentioned him as uh, one of the most underrated players in the league in an article last year. So um, he, he's kind of locked down that right back spot, I think, um, even though some people want to you know, be canon there. Um, and then at left back, too, uh, we mentioned Christian Mafla um, a little bit earlier. There's some hope that he kind of fills that left back spot, which has been a black hole for the revolution in years past. Um, Dewan Jones, who's another converted winger, uh, fills in at left back, too. Um, he's incredibly fast. He's one of the fastest players uh, you know, the revs have had in a long, long time, uh, but he might not be, he's not a natural defender. Uh, so there, there might be a bit of a rotation there. And then AJ De La Garza, who the revs have signed kind of as uh, backline depth to kind of play all over the place. Um, he'll, he'll probably stabilize the position a little bit. So there, there's some really good depth at, at uh, outside back between Mafla and Juan Jones on the left and Brandon by and De La Garza on the, on the right and Tayon Buchanan potentially uh, on the right. I have nothing to add. You took all my points. So perfect. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you guys are from your bio, a pro uh, Matt Turner podcast, right? Um, we are yep, 100% mm-hmm. so pro Matt Turner. I have a question for you, uh, and this is more debate, and I don't know. I imagine it's one-sided on the New England side. Um, as far as Greg Berhalter, uh, do you think that Matt Turner gets a chance to be the number one in post, or do you think that he's looking somewhere else and Matt's not really in his plans for the U.S. and his national team? Chris, why don't you take this one first? Yeah, yeah. I think, I hope Matt Turner's in his plans. You know, I think between Zach Steffen and Matt Turner, Greg, Greg Berhalter's in one hell of a lucky position. Um, you know, I totally get it if Zach Steffen is getting all the minutes. Uh, you know, he's playing for City. He's playing pretty well right now. He's playing um, in... Was it FA Cup that he just uh, had a shutout in? Was that today? Yeah, yeah that was today. And then, um, yeah, he's he's playing well for City overall. I still don't have the most confidence in Zach Steffen, but Matt Turner, I have way more faith in. Um, and this is just from B. I was a Steffen fan from when he was with Columbus and everything. Um, you know, if you and if you compare the numbers between MLS where where Turner and Steffen are, Turner has performed way better. I think it's only a matter of time before Turner goes to play in Europe, 
But if Burhalter does not have Turner in his plans, at least for being the number two, um, I, I think that that's a big issue. Um, he needs to talk with Burhalter yeah. if he's not the number two. Exactly. He needs to at least be the number two. You want to start stuffing over him. You know, I can't really hate on that. Um, but and he he showed it in that uh, in that friendly match as well. I mean, I guess he only had one shot faced, um, but it was a it was a hell of a save. So, yeah, I, I think it's hard to you know want Matt Turner to start over a guy who's at Manchester City. I mean, that's a that's a tough ask, and I can be as big a homer as humanly possible, but I'm not going to really blame Berhalter too too much for for uh, going with Zach Steffen. Um, but um, you know, with Matt Turner, I think one thing that's what a lot of fans probably don't know about him is that he's a very late bloomer. He, he was really, he played every single sport and he picked up soccer after the 2010 world cup. So he was, I think 16 when he picked up soccer. Um, he was an undrafted free agent that fell into the revolution's hands. He spent one year with USL. Um, he, he just has amazing reflexes. Um, he's kind of more of an athlete that has grown as a goalkeeper. And so that's why we're seeing growth year over year, even though he's in his mid twenties, um, you know, he, he's going to turn 27 this summer uh, and he's still getting better. So, um, you know, he's a bit of a late bloomer and I'm not sure if we've hit his ceiling yet. Um, as I say, it's hard to say he's better than a goalkeeper that's at Manchester City. Zach Steffen is a, a hell of a goalkeeper himself. So I, I, you know, as much as I would love to sit here and say Matt Turner is the undisputed number one, uh, I, I don't think I can fully go Homer all the way. Uh, but I certainly think Matt Turner deserves to be in that national team picture. Uh, and I'm glad to see him get to the MLS goalkeeper of the year. Uh, voting, I think he he was runner up last year to um, Andre Blake, uh, but really I think the expectation for him every year he's with the Revs from here on out he's going to be in that conversation. Um, he, he, and, and for those that don't watch him in and you know game in and game out, I mean you do not expect him to you know let a ball go by him. Like big saves are really routine for him, um, and, and it's kind of an, another thing with Henry Kessler where you know he just exudes confidence and just makes the whole team better because you know even if that defense has a few leaks in it um you, you know you have one of the best keepers in mls right behind you when you talk about matt turner's confidence i always think about atlanta united and joseph martinez and uh that that gif of matt turner you know pretending to bite uh joseph's finger when joseph was trying to wave no at him uh it's one of my favorite revs moments uh behind was aj soars throwing over uh that la keeper Real quick, I want to tell you why we're a Matt Turner uh, podcast, a pro yeah. Matt Turner podcast, if you guys have time for it. Absolutely, yeah. Go for it, yeah. So when we signed Matt Turner as an undrafted free agent, our co-host, Sean Donahue, he sent me a link, and it was a YouTube link, and it was the Matt Turner uh, playing goalkeeper at Fairfield. And this made it to the not top 10 on SportsCenter, but the ball, essentially it hit the crossbar, something that went straight up. It bounces off Matt Turner and goes into the net. You can Google it. Uh, it's really embarrassing. He must have lost it in the sun or something. I'm not sure what exactly happened there. So, so Sean sends this to me and says, um, "Great, you know, no, you know, this guy fits in perfectly with the revolution, you know." <laughs> and so I kind of sarcastically say, "Like, you know, this guy's gonna be great, you know." Like, hold on. So uh, a few years go by, and you know, every year contract, you know, decisions come out, and every year Matt Turner keeps making the cut. Usually, you know, a third, you know, fourth string keeper, you know, they, they come and go. You don't really even notice them. Matt Turner has always made it. And so I, I said one day, I said, this guy must be amazing. And no one's talking, you know, this guy must have something that every coach sees. So Brad Friedel takes over his first game in Philadelphia. We're on our way to the game. Lineups are announced with no warning whatsoever that there was a goalkeeper, you know, controversy or that position was up for grabs. We all thought Cody Cropper was the number one, you know, no doubt. 
Matt Turner is starting in goal. And from that moment on, I said, this guy's got to be amazing. There's no other reason. Where did this guy come from? And lo and behold, he's now in the national team picture. So from his first start, and that first start was, uh, uh, from his first start, that was our first podcast in 2018 when we became a, an official show with routine weekly shows. And so I declared in that episode that we were a pro Matt Turner podcast because we had faith that this guy that no one knew anything about was going to be special. And that is the luckiest call I've ever made in my entire life. So that is why we are a pro Matt Turner podcast. That's a great story. Um, uh, you know, I, whenever I watch him, you know, just the confidence that he exudes in between the posts is just something that uh, as a city fan, I, I've watched Stefan play and, there have been times there was one today actually where he kind of chases the ball out but isn't quite sure of how far he should really get out and he almost causes an issue where it bounces off the i think it was Ruben Diaz was running back towards him and it kind of bounces luckily the attacker was smashed in between them but it, there's definitely times where you know Stefan has looked and, and he's a good goalkeeper but there are times with that and Jordan and I have talked about this at length Stefan I think has maybe started four or five matches um, and there's times in the, in the cups where he hasn't started because Pep's been so adamant about them winning the cup. Uh, you know, it, it, Jordan, and I talk about him just sitting there and kind of just rotting and, and yeah, he's learning from, from one of the best, but is he really getting that experience? That's going to make him as good as he can be for the U S men's team. Similar to Ethan or Harvath over yes. there, huh? Yes. At Bruges. Yeah. Yep. Well, one, one thing too with Matt Turner is that, the big knock on him was because he's kind of so late, it's taken him a while to figure out distribution uh, and kind of figure out how to play with his feet because, you know, he can make all these saves, but you know, his distribution is really the big question. He's really improved on that in the past year or so. And so I think that's that's why he's taken that next step. But as I say, it, it's really such a big leap because Zach Steffen, I think, is, you know, it, it's a really good problem, uh, good, good problem for the United States to have. And uh, as you say, I, I do question if Steffen is getting the, the correct amount of development at City. Um, and if Turner is kind of bridging that gap a little bit, but um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very tough call. It's a, I, I'm happy with either one uh, when you know, the gold cup comes around. Yeah, I, I definitely support both of them, but I would not be upset if Turner was the starter um, just because of, you know, like Logan mentioned, just, I, I do worry that Stefan might need to leave city at some point to really cement that spot. Um. Uh, we had a question from Twitter from an account called uh, Sunday Afternoon Fullbacks. They wanted to know, what is the biggest thing that might stop this team from contending for MLS Cup? Because you mentioned earlier that uh, you see them as contenders this year. What is one thing that could stop them from being contenders? I mean, do you want to talk about the opposition that we have right now uh, in the Eastern Conference specifically? I think that's going to be the number one piece. I mean, Atlanta is possibly going to be coming back to, you know, what we're used to seeing Atlanta as, you know, Joseph Martinez is back. I don't know what, I forget their new coach's name, but uh, I don't know what the team's necessarily going to look like, but that's always a team you have to keep an eye on. Columbus seems to just be adding pieces um, and getting stronger. Uh, I'm not as concerned about, you know, Philly anymore, but uh, there's, there's a lot of good teams in the Eastern conference. And I feel like a lot of them are getting better. Orlando city, another one who I've always, you know, it's always been a laughable team to me, but last year they showed that they actually maybe needs to be taken seriously. And then they go out um, and then they signed, um, who did they just bring in? I forget. Pato. Thank you, Pato. Yep. And, you know, that's going to be a good sign, a good signing for them. You have to wonder how, how Miami is going to be doing after another year uh, together. So I think 
maybe the revolution's biggest obstacle, other than health, is going to be uh, how how much their opposition is progressing versus how much are the revs progressing. Progressing are they, you know, up to par with the rest of the league as they are growing and adding talent, um, or are these other teams going to start to bypass them again? And is it going to feel like you know the same old revs? I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I'll kind of comment from a different slant because my, my first inclination was, yeah, like the Columbus crew, because uh, they seem to only be getting better and they, they won it all last year. Um, and then, yeah, there are teams like Miami that you don't know how well they're going to look. Um, you know, I'm always scared the New York teams are going to make a big acquisition acquisition mid-summer and take over stuff. Uh, but if we're looking internally, I think the biggest hole that the revolution have is kind of that back line, which is kind of you know interesting to say because we've talked about how good Henry Kessler and Matt Turner is. Um, but, you know... Andrew Farrell is the number two center back. He's, he's, a, he's an adequate center back. I'm not going to talk too much trash about Andrew Farrell, but uh, behind that, you have AJ De La Garza as the third center back. You have John Bell, who, you know, if we're being completely serious, might not be the next Michael Parkhurst. He might just be a backup center back. Um, they have another Revs two center back in Colin Burfirth. Uh, so there's a real big question with center back depth there, and that's going to come into play if Henry Kessler, say, goes to the Olympics. Uh, so the revolution are, uh, you know, a Henry Kessler injury away from that back line having some real big questions. Um, and then the other thing, too, is we talk about how great Matt Turner is. If Matt Turner, re- you know, regresses to the mean a little bit, um, you know, if you guys know, uh, if you if you look at American soccer a- analysis and you look at the goalkeeper expected goal stats, uh, Matt Turner is, you know, number one in that category every year, number two in that category every year. He's an expected goals uh, differential god. Uh, so if he has a even above average season uh, and, and his goals allowed are close to the expected goals allowed, um, the revolution are going to concede a lot more. So um, it's it's uh, I, I think internally, the, the big question is, is that defense for real uh, and can they hold up through a, a full season? Um, you know, and uh, do they have a plan B if, if Henry Kessler goes out because of injury or international duty? Yeah, I think that's a very important piece to actually discuss too, is the defense, because the Revolution probably would not be making the playoffs last year uh, if the defense was not as phenomenal as they were. Uh, there are several games that uh, we took away points only because the defense uh, really showed up. Um, there were several you know, ties that we had that was just because of the defense, you know, because we were not putting goals in, in the net. Um, so it, that defense was, was a huge piece of 2020. Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned that, Greg. All right. And our last question is what would be a successful season for 2021 New England Revolution? Besides MLS Cup, uh, you know, if we're talking realistic, I, I would say a top three, top three seed in the Eastern Conference uh, at the regular season uh, and a semifinal appearance is a solid minimum. Our fans are satisfied, disappointed we didn't win at all, but uh, the revolution, after having many years of disappointment and kind of meddling in the middle, um, I, I think this is the first year where we're looking at our squad on paper and we're saying, we might win this thing. Uh, and you know, I, I know uh, odds came out this past couple of weeks that was covering MLS soccer and the Rebs are 25 to 1. And a lot of people are really insulted at that. Uh, a lot of people think the Rebs odds should be much higher. I think we're close to sh- the Chicago Fire and no offense to the Chicago Fire, but um, there should be a lot more distance between those two teams. So um, I-, I would say we're expected to be a top three team in the East. And, and uh, as I say, I- semifinals, since that's where we were last year, I think that's where our expectations are this year. Yep. I, I would have to echo that. I would just say, you know, instead of necessarily saying top three, I'd say as long as we're in a seed where we can host a playoff game. So I think that's top four. Um, I think that would be be a huge 
huge uh, expectation met. You know, we haven't had home playoffs in New England uh, in quite some time. Uh, I'll try to think back to the last one, and I, I, I can't even think of it. Well, besides the Montreal game, there was a Montreal game last year, but it was like the weird playing round because they, they expanded the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, so they, yeah. But, so we don't really call that playoffs. But before no. that, I think it was our MLS Cup year in 2014. Yes. So. All right. Well, if you guys wanted to just uh, plug your, uh, you know, your shows again uh, before you before we uh, let you go. Yeah. So you can follow our uh, podcast at Revolution Recap on Twitter. We also have a Revolution Recap Facebook page. Um, typically, our shows are weekly, and we just kind of do our quick recap. But we do have some interviews. Uh, I, I know Logan, you mentioned that we just interviewed Brandon by a few weeks ago. Uh, we've also had Jay Heaps, uh, Charlie Joseph, uh, Brian Dunseth talk about his time with the revolution. So uh, if you go back into our feed, uh, there are some interviews that you might find interesting. And uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself uh, because we haven't recorded this yet, but we do have a big guest uh, coming up uh, in the next week or two. So uh, make sure you're following us at Revolution Recap uh, and subscribing to our, our podcast feed. Uh, we're, we're available everywhere there's podcasts. So uh, make sure you don't miss it. All right, and that were that was the guys from Revolution Recap, Greg Johnstone and Chris Valukas. Logan, what was your takeaway here from the Rebs? Yeah, so I think it was interesting um, from all aspects because I think this is a team that um, really for the first time, I want to say, because we haven't done some of these top teams, that the team actually feels like they're going forward um, instead of kind of a couple steps backwards. Um, I, I do. I, I feel really good about uh where the revolution are, um, the, the spots that they're in. I think that a couple of these players that are returning to Bruce arena just kind of speaks to his legacy as a coach, um, from what Johnstone said. Um, you know, I think that, you know, they, they made a really, really good point about, um, kind of their expectations on the year. I think that this is a team that although finished eighth last year, a lot of that was due to, um, the, the injury of heel. So I think that, you know, getting him back and getting them, um, going towards the top of the table, I think a, a number three or above is pretty realistic for this team. And I think that that's something that if they don't reach, then I, I would consider this team, you know, maybe a four spot. Um, if they don't get a home field advantage in the playoffs, I, I think that I'm in the same boat that they're in. I think it's a disappointing gear for them. Yeah, I'm a little down on the revs, actually. I think that, uh, you know, their attack and stuff is going to be great. You know, they've mm -hmm. made me a little worried about their defense. Um, yeah. so, uh, you know, maybe, you know, they, uh, obviously last year is kind of just a, who knows, right. Because of COVID. Right. So, you know, maybe they get top four, but again, we kind of mentioned this in one of the million we did this week is mm -hmm. that a lot of these teams have that expectation and there's just not enough spots to go around for those top four spots. There's four. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like a lot of teams are thinking we can be one of those four. And, uh, you know, like they said, with the, with the question about what's going to stop them from contending, you, you have the resurgence of Atlanta. You have the question mark of Toronto. Can they continue their form? You have the question mark of Philadelphia. You have Columbus, who gained Bradley Wright Phillips and Kevin Molino somehow. And, uh, you know, you look at it and think, you know, Orlando just gained some players as well, like Pato. Uh, they're an improved side from – last year probably uh it, it's a question mark of you know who's going to fit in that top four and I'm, I'm not sure the revs make it but if they do it's going to be uh you know a real testament to bruce arena and how much he turned this team around from the brad friedel days 
I was going to say, I think expectation wise. Yeah. Like I, I, I expect them to challenge for top four. Um, like I said, that, you know, there, there are, there are a lot of teams. I think they're, I think the bigger question would be how much do Philly come down? Does Orlando come down, especially if DK is not around the whole season, you know, it, Orlando had a good year last year, but they'd always been a train wreck. Um, it, it's a couple teams like that. You worry about Toronto is going to come down. Um, Columbus makes these signings, but again, let's see it play. Um, because what they didn't finish anywhere close to first did they last year? They were, were they second or no, they were, when was Columbus Who? fourth? Was Columbus fourth or third? Yeah, they were, I think they were third. Third. Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, they get two good players. Um, but again, I, I think it is, it's very much a, who did you play last year? Um, yeah. What region did you play in last year? Cause they're kind of in a region where I think they probably have played uh, Sensi quite a few times. Um, I think they probably played Chicago a couple of times. Um, so again, I, I, I'm not quick to say that uh, as quick as people are, I, I get that, that Columbus has a really good team, but uh, again, it, it's about putting it on the field and, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that we're going to find out this year that we go, oh, crap, we didn't think that that was going to be the case. But because last year was a truncated year, I, I think that you're seeing a team or, you know, a year that not a lot of people really have an idea. Again, like you said, Jordan, we always get high off these teams, don't we, when we talk to these people because it, it they bring up things that we don't even think about that could make them better. Yet, I, I think there there are times where they don't talk about the things that could be detrimental. Yeah, so let's go ahead and move on from the Revs and move to our outside-the-box segment. Now it's time for some outside-the-box thinking. Outside-the-box is a segment where we take a question weekly and analyze it, analyze it, whatever word I'm trying to say, right? in an outside-the-box perspective. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just what we think, and we're going to approach this in many different ways. The question this week is, will the United States of America win a FIFA World Cup in the next 10 years? And I mean the men's team. Obviously, if there was a women's team, we already did it. Mission accomplished. Uh, those World Cups would be 2022, 2026, and 2030. Logan, I pitch it to you first. Will they? <sighs> no, they won't. Um, and I've got my reasoning. Uh I do think, you know, should we just keep, should we just launch right into it as to why we think? Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you look at this team and there's so much hype built in around them, right? I think this is probably the most competitive, the, one of these cups coming up in the next 10 years, probably had the best chance that we've ever had to winning one, I think. I think with the amount of talent that you have, um, from top to bottom, I think that with some of the players that are getting experience in Europe, I think that, that they're ready for big games. I mean, you're getting Weston McKinney playing in Champions League. You're getting Pulisic playing Champions League. You're getting Gio Reyna playing Champions League. But um, I, I'm just afraid that that while, yes, they are very good, we don't have like – we don't have one of those world-beating superstars like a – uh, Tony Cruz or uh, Lewandowski or a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Messi or, you know, I, we don't have that star studded. And yeah, I know you can win collectively as a, as a whole, but I, I just don't see where 
yet where where there's a player that really makes a difference um, when you really need one of those players to count on. Can you count on Pulisic being healthy? Can you count on um, Weston McKinney being that force in the midfield as one of the best you know players in 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 a midfield against you know some of these top talents in Europe that against Germany or Spain, um, against Argentina, against Brazil, uh, are there teams that, you know, that have had success over the past couple of decades? Um, I, I just don't, looking at the roster, I just don't see it. I, I don't see yet because I, I think that we just lack that, that one big talent that we really need because you just can't rely on these younger guys. And as they do develop, I do know that, you know, th there's going to be more development star potential, but I just don't see who that is going to be. Yeah, my, my answer is no as well. Um, so sorry for us taking the same side here. But when I look at this, I understand it's exciting. We have all these young players. And we kind of just talked about this on one of the ones that we did this week as well that I kind of previewed this question. I understand that we have you know, a lot of exciting young players, but you also can't just rely on youth all the time. All of them are not going to pan out. You're going to have injuries at times. You're going to have, uh, et cetera. Uh, th these players are going to have to get used to the World Cup situation. So guess what? 2022 is ruled out. That's our first, if we qualify for it, that'll be our first one since 2014. So that one's ruled out. We're too young at that point. So you look at 2026. Oh yeah, we're more experienced. We're home here. You know, that's cool. But you're looking for a growth there. And then you look at 2030, and maybe you have a shot there. But, you know, when you look at people saying, look, but we got players in the Champions League. We got players here. We got players there. Yes, that's really good for the CONCACAF region. But France has those players everywhere. England has those players everywhere. And England hasn't won one since 1966. And they have their players playing Champions League every single week, starting, scoring goals, Harry Kane. Um, so it becomes a little rougher to say that, you know, just because, you know, look, nobody expected really Croatia to get second place in 2018. So, you know, maybe there's a chance to make a run. But definitely not a uh, – I, I definitely don't think we will. Uh, like it's possible, but I say no. And what you want to hope is, you know, 2030 would be the best chance for that. It really would. You know, 2026 is when we want to take the world by storm and make a run and just show people, hey, you're on our turf. This is how we do it. 2030 would be like when your players are the most mature. You have senior leadership, but you also have young guys. And you also have like, like Musa is still going to be young at that point. Arison still going to be young at that point. Uh. So, so that's what you're, you know, kind of looking at. Like, Musso would be 28 in 2030, 27, something like that. <laughs> so, that some of these people still be in their prime, and you're hoping uh, the goal is to not have – everybody says this is our golden generation. The goal is not to have this be your golden generation. This is your goal to have this become the, the norm, right? The start of something, that this is just the beginning – us having players over there, them being young, them being good. And that by 2030, you're actually thinking, well, our best chance is the next decade because we have now all these even younger players that are coming in 
that are even better than the players that are playing now like that, you know, so it should be every decade we get closer to that goal. Uh, and hopefully we're alive to see that goal, but I think 2030 is just too close. That's actually only nine years, but that's three world cups, but there's no 2031 world cup. So we have to cap it off right there or else we're looking at 12 years or excuse me, like what, 14 years. Uh, yeah. When would, yeah. 2034. Yeah. So we're looking at 13 years from now, uh, which is outside that decade. And the reason why we brought this up for people that don't know, there was a person on Twitter who said that it would be a failure if we did not win it in the 10. And you know what? I'm not, I don't want to get too much in that, but it's definitely not a failure if we don't win it in the 10. And it's the way that we phrase that, right? Mm -hmm. We can have hopes for winning it. I'm going to be rooting for us to win it in 2022 if we make it, right? Is it realistic? No, but I'm going to be rooting for us to win it. Uh, But I'm not going to sit back and say at 20, let's say July of 2030, after the tournament's over, I'm not going to be like, well, we failed because it was unrealistic. Uh, that would be like me telling that would be like me saying, I want to win the lottery in the next decade. And then if I don't win the lottery, be like, well, I failed. I'm a failure. No. <laughs> and I know that, you know, playing soccer is different than winning a lottery and just putting your name in random numbers. But with how many teams have only won a World Cup is like seven or eight nations because you have so many repeats. And you look at teams like England that have won one and since only have won the one in 1966, and they have players at this level constantly higher than our level, then, yeah, it makes me think we don't have a good shot right now. But again, the goal is to make this the, the beginning, not the golden generation. And you hope that with all the infrastructure we're putting into this, all of the time MLS is putting into this and uh, in growing the academies and such, that this truly is the beginning. MLS is only 25, 26 years old right now. It's 26. It's only had 25 seasons. The academies are still really new. They're even younger than that. So the hope is that you're getting these, you know, young players coming through the academies and that's going to help. But you hope that, again, this is the beginning. And that when we look at 2030, we say, you know, Christian Pulisic is is great. But we have this young, uh, you know, winger, Landon Wiegand, who is tearing it up right now. And uh-huh. he's going he's gonna to break into the team. Um, but you know what I'm saying. Like, just a random player that's actually going to be better than Pulisic at that point. You know, the same way people think Pulisic's better than Donovan, uh, skill-wise. So you want to just get, you know, every year there's better. And uh, that'll be our best chance. But I don't think, I still think 2030 is too close for that. Yeah, and, you know, when we did a poll, so for the results of the poll, um, it was going to be 14 people said no. And you had, let's see the math, eight people say yes. Um, I just don't, I, I thought it'd be a lot higher with no, um, just because I think that American and U.S. men's national fans, team fans have been, I think, more, I guess, cynical and pessimistic than uh, most. Um, 
and you know when I posed that question our friends at final third said it's not likely to happen but for the first time ever we may be contenders I, I think that might be the best line um, when you're talking about us I think that in you know like you said Jordan I think in uh, 2020 what is it 2026 um, I think you're looking at realistically that's when you can start to have some of those expectations of winning matches 2022 you and I talked about this last time you just just go for it right uh, go out there field a team get some experience there's a bunch of young kids that are going to be playing on a, on a stage that's bigger than themselves obviously and, and bigger than a lot of people um, and I think that's just when you go um, you know, balls to the wall and say, Hey, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna win. I, I think I'm gonna win, but there's teams that are just going to be better than us because they've got more experience. They've got better players. Um, and then Mike McGrew on Twitter also made a really good point. Um, Pre-World Cup 2018 odds, England had a 5% chance of winning Portugal, 4% Uruguay and Croatia, 3% Colombia and Poland, 2.5. And if you look back at Russia's 2018 knockout stage, only one team in that group did not make the round of 16 and that was Poland. Um, so that, you know, is that something realistic, Jordan? Is that, you know, shooting for, I, let's say 2026, right? The middle year is winning two games and kind of solidifying your spot in the knockout stage more realistic. Yeah. We should have a favorable draw probably to as hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that'll, that'll change better again. It all comes down to the draw and this is why part of this speculation is you know uh, fruitless is because we just again like i said i think whatever time we last talked about this 2022 you could get drawn in with uh the worst teams that you want to be facing and then be like well this year's lost right right and then 2026 you, you should have a favorable one but we still might be too green at that time and then 2030 you could get a bad draw again like mm-hmm. it, it, it you really why you can't put these type of uh you know uh, hopes and dreams on it you know like these type of uh, because you, you can't really until you see the draw so when people say 10 years beforehand we got to win it in the next 10 years it's kind of like let's take it one at a time uh because yes right now i'd say 2026 let's get out of the group let's win two matches and we'll be fine but if that group sucks for us, or if as soon as we get out of the group, we draw like Spain, Germany, Brazil, Argentina, then you're like, well, it's over. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, you could pull off an upset every so often, but, uh, you know, it's it's a lot harder to pull off those upsets than it is in like a NCAA March Madness type of situation. Yeah, are you sure you don't want to talk about draws? We can talk about draws. I know that that was something we were talking about pre-show that I'm, I'm sure that you would have loved to elaborate on why you – I think the draw should honestly be best nations, right? To play each other. I think Germany. Um, why even have Argentina, draws? Right. Just why even have the World Cup? Pl- Just put Germany versus Brazil in the final or whatever, and we're fine. Throw in Argentina with the Messi, you know. Let's just throw in four good teams and just let them go at it. Because for people that else. don't know, Grant Wall posted a tweet uh, last week. By the time you're listening to this, so it's kind of outdated for you, it, saying that uh, for the Champions League, he doesn't like that City and Bayern are in the same side of the bracket. They should have gone by like some sort of seeding. Uh, he even said even just passing the eye test that these are the two best teams in Europe. That doesn't make any sense. If you're going to seed them off last year, then. He, Yes, guess what? Liverpool would be on the other side because of England. Uh, so it, it wouldn't make it, you know, 
or if you're going to see, you can't see them after the group either because everybody had different group drawings. Like you, you, it's impossible to do it. Just the open draw is the best way to do champions league. Uh, you know, FIFA, you kind of have some, I guess, seeding to it with like the, which pot they're in for what nations, you know, where their coefficient, you know, like how their nation rank FIFA rank is. But uh, yeah, it was just, it was a really bad take that everybody, and then he tried to pitch it as well. Everybody hates it. Cause I'm American and the Europeans don't like it. No dude. Americans don't like the idea either. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, so uh, anything else here? Or are we good to wrap it up? Um, no, I think that's it. I think that we've all made some really good points. I do. We do appreciate you guys playing along on Twitter. That was a lot of fun. And just kind of seeing what other people's perspectives are. I think that uh, the responses that we got were very realistic. Maybe not so much the, the voting, but I guess it's easy to hit yes or no. So. All right. Well, if you want to follow us on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, email Stateside Show at gmail.com. We'll catch you all next time. I can't believe we've just done six of these. Throwing his body in, it's going to fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show, presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.